Welcome to the Daily Canon Podcast. Here to talk all things Arsenal is your host, Matthew Wade. Hello again, listeners, and welcome to another Daily Canon Weekly Podcast. This is the 300th Daily Canon Weekly Podcast. In two parts, uh, we have the usual uh, weekly chat roundup that we're having here, and there's a special edition that we're putting on also this week, which is something that I'll uh, tell you all about a bit later, but it's something that we're very excited about, and hopefully you'll be excited about when you hear it. But yes, this is uh, the 300th Daily Canon Weekly Podcast, sponsored by, as ever, manscaped.com. And of course, uh, it's Olympics time, it's the Euros we've just had, it's major championships, we had Wimbledon, uh, the concerts all started again, it's even festivals season uh, and they're all in if you know what i mean uh, but what isn't in a wild and hairy bush so tame your pubes with help from our friends at manscaped the leaders in below the waist grooming their third generation performance package includes the flagship lawnmower 3.0 and if an athlete treats their body like a temple and like royalty why not treat your pubes like olympic gold Fellas, do it right by your balls. Enjoy the two million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping. That's right, free shipping, and that is worldwide, with the code DCPOD20. That's DCPOD20, and that will get you 20% off all your personal grooming products. And, of course, we will talk about that a bit later, but, frankly, you don't want to hear about that all up front. We want to hear who's on the podcast this week, and we have a, a bumper crop, if you excuse the reference to Manscaped again, on the pod this week, and it is Helen, who's back after, like, ages, which is fantastic. Um, we also have Sylvan, who's back after quite a long time as well which is really fantastic and you've also got me and Stephen but there we go you can't that uh, so just before we crack on into uh, talking about all the things that we have to talk about how are you guys excellent all the better for having had a summer break from the football I think <laughs> does the Euros count as a summer break well since the Euros I suppose <laughs> and how are you Sylvan I'm good. I'm on. Uh, I'm in France actually at the moment, so it's quite nice for a change to be out of England. <laughs> yeah, you're not. You're not. You're not stuck in the in the flight path. Yeah, I might not come back. Actually, you never know with Brexit. <laughs> but, uh, that's another story. <laughs> well, with all the new variations of COVID that may or may not be happening, you might not be allowed to come back. So uh, enjoy it while you can. Uh, <laughs> obviously, there's been a lot going on in Arsenal world. I mean, I've missed the last couple of pods. Stephen has been holding the fort, but there is uh, there's actually been some transfers. Uh, I know that we've talked about uh, Sambi and uh, Tavares on previous podcasts, but we officially have the Ben White transfer conclusion. We've had some pre-season fixes, including one of quite a meaty nature only yesterday uh, for both men and the women's teams uh, with slightly different outcomes for each, but both involving injuries to star midfielders. <clears throat> if you wouldn't, it's yep. not Arsenal if there's not uh, some misfortune of that nature, but also uh, looking forward to seasons ahead for both teams and, of course, uh, transfers that may or may not be happening. But just before we get into all that, I do have to start off with, uh, with, with the story that uh, Harry Kane uh, might have decided not to return to training to Spurs today. I don't know if that's been corroborated, but it's very funny. Well, he definitely didn't turn up. The question is, was he told he was allowed not to turn up or did he just do it anyway? Yeah. Well, it seems that quite a lot of the rest of the England players have turned up. 
given given the three weeks uh, advised by uh, UEFA. So uh, watch that space. For once, it's nice to be able to, for the first time in a while, genuinely laugh at Spurs properly, uh, e- even though our own uh, club is not necessarily the most well-organised at the moment in some areas. Uh, but yeah, that's going to be definitely popcorn emojis all over the place for that one. Uh, hopefully, by the time you hear this, uh, then I've got even more amusing. But anyway... First off, we have a new signing. We have our <laughs> £50 million centre-half. Blimey. So uh, what do we think, people? I know that, Stephen, you've done a um, very comprehensive video explaining how he fits into the tactics and what Arteta uh, expects him to bring to the system, which is uh, on the Daily Cannon YouTube channel. Uh, plug. Uh, but it's, uh, yeah, very good, comprehensive, and goes into some of the statistical information behind it all as well. So listen to that if you want to go for a deep dive. But... As there's more of us here, what do we think, Ben White? Uh, not just having seen him play a little bit yesterday, but also from what we've seen him play before. It's a it's a really weird feeling actually being a little bit underwhelmed by a fifty million pound signing. <laughs> I, I remember when the England squad was announced at the start of the summer, and um, I had to Google Ben White to find out really very much about him at all. Um, I, obviously, some people follow every every Premier League game there's going, whereas I'm much more of a follow the Arsenal and the Arsenal and the Arsenal and not a lot else um, unless it's laughing at Spurs of course um, so yeah to discover there was someone in the England squad I hadn't actually heard of at the time was quite eye-opening um, and then to discover that we were linked with him for 50 million quid I mean <laughs> but it's I one, mean it's one of those ones where someone we need yeah it's one of those ones where it's like obviously he's not the biggest name but like if you if you were following football for the last couple of years, like he he was best player in Leeds' defence under Marcelo Bielsa. And we know how crazy that bleeper can be with, with, with his tactics, where it's high line, everyone pushes forward, and he was in the middle of it. And watching Arsenal's high line against Chelsea yesterday, he's perfect. <laughs> yeah, it's, like, it's like, welcome to the chaos. And he's like, oh, no, lads, I was built for this. But, <laughs> but to Helen's point, it's like when you, sp- I suppose it's just a sign of the market of where it was last year when you spend 50 million on someone, you still expect quote unquote big name. And we bought the one player in the England squad that didn't play a minute for 50 million. You know, Anita has has espoused on this for some time. She's gone for that money. You expect, you know, someone that's going to sell a million shirts. But Ben White's not going to do that. Ben White's going to come in and just make every, hopefully, make everything a little bit more solid and improve our attacking plan for that sort of money. It puts a hell of a lot of pressure on him to have an immediate impact on it. And I don't think that's fair on the young lad, to be honest. Well, he's got to have the sort of season that means he sells a million shirts next summer. And yeah, that's a big ask. Um, but it's interesting, isn't it? Because you you make the point about how he's used to chaos. And actually, could there be a more Arsenal-appropriate signing in the sense that we, we live and breathe that sort of style of play? And over the years, when you talk about top centre-halves, generally it's top pairings of centre-halves. Mm. And you find that as soon as one of those pairings has gone, the other one can look absolutely terrible in comparison without the support and the stability um and if you're looking to improve a defense sometimes as Tottenham have found out to their cost you can't just buy one player and think it's going to turn all your fortunes around you need you know you need a pairing um but if you've got a player who is capable of turning in good performances even as the world around them is turning to shit well <laughs> fantastic yeah but any, any immediate reactions to the Ben White signing 
Uh, honestly, um, like uh, 50 million. And then you see that Rafael Varan cost even less. So I find it very, well, okay, why not? But, uh, well, uh, well, I think yeah. that might be because Rafael Varane's probably on about four times as much money a week. <laughs> and also he, Varane is on the way down, to be fair. He, yeah. He's not at the same level as before. So. Well, and also he, was, he only had a year left on his contract or something, didn't he? Mm. Yeah. yeah. Also, Real Madrid are skint, as are everyone in Spain, apart from possibly Atletico, but they've never been massive spenders comparatively. Have you seen how much Alaba is on a week at Real Madrid now? So when he uh, when he's cut money, <laughs> yeah, uh, no, no, it's more. <laughs> like he, he he was offered uh, fifteen million a year euros gross by Bayern Munich, and his agent Pini Zahivi said we want that and ten million just up front for me and the family. And Bayern Munich told him to go swivel. And then Real Madrid came in and said, look, Modric has probably got one year left. We know you want to play midfield. Cruz is going to be here for a while. You can be the next Modric. And he's like, fine, fantastic. That's where I play for Austria. Great, no bother. So he's on €417,000 a week. And now they've sold the centre-halves. So he's and that, so he's played centre-back yet. Yeah, like it's, <laughs> like, what do you do? Like, what do you do? But so it's, it's bizarre, but, that's why Varane is going to, you know, Manchester United for forty odd million. That's why we're buying Ben White for fifty because we're hoping in three years' time Ben White will be talked about in the same tone that Rafael Varane was talked about three years ago. Meanwhile, Manchester United, with all their resources and Champions League football, they're like, yeah, sure, no bother. We need a really, you know, a really good reader of the ball who's really quick to stand beside Harry Maguire. You know, yeah, and, and and also it's Man United. You know, their, their mo is the marquee signing, isn't it? It's the mm. it's the particularly as Solskjaer is going to be under a certain degree of pressure to make that extra step forward, uh, having not succeeded in, in terms of trophies. Um, and United, let's face it, their <laughs> their financial muscle is something that is only only the barons and the oligarchs can compete with them in the transfer market in their wages. Well, there's clearly a scarcity issue with centre backs, anyway, isn't there? You know, yeah. there's uh, a number of major clubs on the lookout, if not pursuing slash purchased centre backs. You know, Spurs are clearly in the market for about six centre halves. Um, ourselves, United. You'd have to think Liverpool are probably interested in another one after the complete washout of centre halves they had last season as well. Real Madrid. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm looking UK only for yeah. just for starters, but um, yeah, and obviously homegrown aspect is another side of it. Yeah, um, and you have to wonder for us whether that started to be a rather more defining factor in our policy than we'd perhaps like it to be. Well, I guess with with so many of our our Young, you know the potential next young British core. You know, there's a lot. There's Smithrow and there's Saka, and then there's a lot of question marks. Um, and there really are very few senior players who tick that homegrown box in the squad, just because we had that massive turnover of you know. We don't well, and them. also Bellerin, I think, is one of them, isn't he? But yeah. he's someone who potentially is looking at the exit door. So yes, yes, it makes you wonder if. If he won't go, purely because we we can't afford to to lose that quota. Well, I mean, it, it all depends on what else the club does. I mean, the very fact that there's these links with Tammy Abraham, um, which I think may be spurious, but we we <laughs> we'll we'll touch on that in a minute. But um, I mean, going back to to Ben White, I mean, obviously, you know, without without repurposing what Stephen's done in his in his video. There's there's three things that Ben White instantly brings that that 
clearly Arteta and frankly most managers would want, which is uh, ability on the ball to actually be a progressive uh, defender as well as as well as just sort of someone who doesn't treat it like a hand grenade. Um, Fairly important after David Luiz has gone there. Hmm. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, uh, and and yesterday's friendly against Chelsea was a very good reminder about why perhaps a little bit more comfort on the ball in defence is, is a good thing. Uh, secondly, it's that recovery pace, which again, yesterday was a wonderful reminder of. And, and certainly a central defensive partnership of him and Gabriel makes a high line a lot less terrifying than a holding Marie combo. Um, and, and, and then thirdly, just the fact that... Um, He's got versatility, which which means even though I, I don't see him playing in multiple positions for Arsenal, of course, the way that Arteta sets his team up, a lot of players end up playing multiple positions within the course of a game, even if there's one designated position. And, and so they're being comfortable going into, you know, fullback areas and being comfortable stepping into midfield, having played in both and having played in a back three and a back four. You know, the, 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 that's something which we've really lacked. I mean, you know, Rob Holding had a good season last year for the most part, but, you know, as soon as, as, soon as there's no deep block or there's he's having to out cover the fullback, uh, then he looks like a rather less competent defender. Um, so, you know, while there are a lot of question marks over Ben White, particularly his aerial ability and just his experience level, um, he clearly ticks a number of very obvious boxes. Um, Would it be so wrong of us to want like a six foot five defender? Well, the problem is, is... Are what would he do? Well, it's also, are there any good six foot five defenders out there at the moment? <laughs> no, quite, quite. It just feels like we're always, you know, Arsenal's trademark is we always sign a defender who there's a question mark over aerial ability. Yeah. You know, since, um, because even when we had Murtazaka, we were like, is he really that good in the air? <laughs> just very tall, yes. Yeah. But I suppose we'd, we'd been... By like Sergio Aguero or something. Yeah. We'd been, we'd been white, like I said, he, he is a, very specific player for a very specific pattern of play. You know, we bought him to fit into the jigsaw. It's just with the homegrown tag and all that, it's a buyer's market right now. Like everyone is waiting for prices to come down because everyone knows that everyone else has a ton of, I don't want to call it Deadwood because it's not Deadwood because Joe Willick's a good player and Maitland Niles is a good player and et cetera, et cetera. But they know... And 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 others, <laughs> but there's so like Danny Drinkwater played for Chelsea yesterday. Like we're not the only club out there with you know five or six players on the table outside the outside the the back seat of our car, hoping to God that someone will throw us a pound for it and get and, and take it out of our shed. Well, that's you know, Chelsea's that's, signature, isn't it? I mean, they've always had about twenty players on their books, longest serving players you've never even heard of. Like Baba Reckman was playing yesterday, and he was like. What? But that's the problem. Like there are so many decent squad players for, for, that big clubs have that walk into teams like Newcastle, uh, Brentford, etc. Et you know, West Ham, and these teams are now looking at us and going, "We're not giving if, if these guys expect big money, like wages, like 80, 90 grand a week. We're not giving you a transfer fee. No way. Sod off." And they're waiting for us to basically go fine here, have them on loan for a year. You know, that's what Inter Milan are doing with Bellerin. The, you know, the 60 million they got for Hakimi is fantastic, but they're up to their necks in debt. So that's gone on the debt. They're waiting for Arsenal to cave and say, basically, look, here, have Bellerin for free. Roma are doing the same with Xhaka. They're just waiting. They, say, they know full well we want to sell him. They're like, we'll wait until the last day of the season and we'll offer you 8 million. 
Well, they sort of pissed their chips on that one because what their, their miscalculation is that uh, Xhaka uh, is is quite liked by Arteta and despite having his flaws, is actually like useful. Uh, he, he might not be what we he might not be the the unicorn we want in that position, and hopefully we're not going to be as reliant on him. But you know, you look at the price of other players in that position. You know, we, we tried to. You know, Locatelli's finally off to Juventus, but that was going to cost a near the best part of 40 million. Ruben Nevers talked about 40 million, Basu, where they're talking about 40 million. And you look at it and thinking, well, unless you're getting an actual proper fee for Xhaka, mm. and given what else you need to do in the squad, there's really no point spending making a 25 million pound effectively loss on, on a, on a, on a Ball playing old in midfielder when you're not when the people you're being linked with, linked with aren't that much better. Um, no, and I think um, for all his flaws and the criticism criticism he had last season, I don't think Xhaka had a bad season. I think oh. in many many games he was actually the the piece of the jigsaw that held together our midfield. Um, the fact that that still wasn't good enough is more a reflection of the overall quality of the team rather than a reflection on him. I would say. Um, and uh, I know uh, even from the start of the summer when he was linked with moves away, I was thinking, well, unless we're going to get good money for him, that's going to allow us to buy a decent replacement. I, I just don't see it. That the offers I've heard are just not sufficient to make you think, well, that's worth it. Yeah, it's a bit like the, the old conundrum when your players in the last year of a contract. Do you sell them for the cash or do they add more benefit to you? This to me, this is the same sort of puzzle. Is it, you know, are you gaining enough by selling him? Or would you rather keep a okay, a, a player who's not suitable for every situation, but a player who really adds to your squad for peanuts? And to me, I think what you said, Matthew, is the point about over-reliance. He shouldn't have to play every game against every opposition. If you can pick him against a you know a team where his skill set is going to be really useful, and then when it comes to the sort of game where he's a bit more of a liability, you've got other options, then that's got to be the goal ultimately. Mm. Is yeah. Jack going to stay as cover though? That's the thing. Well, uh, doesn't get a choice if he's contracted though, does he? Well, it's also not a question of first choice and cover. You know, as Helen alluded to, Jack is someone that it's a bit more horses for courses. And also it's about who you pair him with. You know, we all, we all saw that when Jacker and Party were both fully fit and rested, that was a good midfield. We've certainly seen enough of Sambi Lokonga to, to see that, okay, he may not be as polished as Party, but he has some of the same attributes mm. and could potentially be someone that would play well with Xhaka, saving us from the 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 Xhaka Elneny sideways and backwards. combo. <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> Um, you know, and, and as we've seen, Elneny can be okay alongside Thomas Party because he just does, you know, basically it says, you stand there and basically cover things and run around a lot. And that's what we need you to do. But it's just, it's just about trying to prevent, as, as Helen says, relying on, on those weaker combinations, particularly against teams who are, who are going to press us high in midfield. Um, and ultimately, it, it also comes down to, as a club, you know, Arsenal have been taken as mugs in the transfer market in, in recent years. You know, everyone wants to pick up our, our unwanted players for nothing or p- wants us to pay pay them to take them away. And, you know, it's not, Granite Jack is not in that category. And for Roma to kind of be pissing around with £12 million offers when he's been in the team of the Euros and everyone has been raving about his performances and he's probably had his best season in an Arsenal shirt in terms of overall level, you know, 
do one, frankly. You know, this is this isn't this isn't as I said the comparison. This isn't Kalasanach who whose confidence is just shot and basically is terrified of the football now. No, and it's not a player who's been on the fringes, out on loan, floating around. This is a player who started, you know, the majority of our games when available. So, like you say, do one. Yeah. The, the, my problem, though, is that there isn't exactly a bidding war for him. No. Like, like it, it, it's amazing that Xhaka can have a good season. Yes, it was had its mistakes, had its ups and downs, but it's certainly a better season than last season. And then, like Matthew said... Team of the Euros. He was brilliant for Switzerland. Absolutely. In a system that suited him and hid his flaws. He was brilliant. He was superb. And Roma are in. And that's it. You know, like it's yeah, if if they're talking giving him a contract to protect his value, the market is showing you what his value is because it's not really that interested in him yet. So And why do you think that is? Because, you know, this is a player that, yes, we know he has his limitations, but he's clearly you know clearly good enough to be one of the best players in a Europa League level team and and, and probably good enough to play as a, as a squad member in a Champions League level team uh, it seems it seems very odd that there's not more interest is that down to him or is it more down to the fact that basically no one outside the UK has got any fucking money that they're nailed it on the head you know like if if Jack certainly after... no money for a 20 you know nearly 29 year old yeah who's going to want 100 grand a week <laughs> It's different, it, you know, punting on someone who you know you're going to have. Ben White, you're punting on him a little bit, but you know you've got him for years and years and years, subject to contract renewals. You know, completely yeah, different kettle of fish with someone years. who's touching 30 soon. It's, it's, it's why their their acquisitions of like Tavares and Lukonga are a little bit more uh, faith building, I suppose, where it's like they've identified two really good young players and shelled out immediately. And going right, there's 23 million, 25 million, but we desperately need a left back cover for Tierney and we desperately need cover for Party. So we've gone and found the young lad who we think is going to be the next Tierney and the young lad who we think is going to be the next Party. You know, they've identified targets and bought, and again, pre season, but they look like so far that it's like, oh, yeah, we can see them at least filling in this season. Maybe next season, the season after, maybe they break into the first team, but Le Conger is showing over. 100 minutes of football we can all ah yeah you can see what he's good at you know he's good on the ball he's very good very good at seeing what's in front of him like that chip through ball for Pepe was you know finesse you know it barely skimmed over Kante's head you know, so it, stuff like that it it does encourage you a little bit and you know we haven't had that for a while you know we, we, we you know when we saw Pepe for 75 we all went Yay! You know, it's like we we knew we had a good player, but we also knew we were overpaying like fuck. So getting in value at least twice is a start, you know. And whether we be able to keep that up now for the next three or four years is what, which is what we need to do, will remain to be seen. Well, it seems very much there's a strategy. I mean, you know, we haven't been linked with any older players all summer, really. Um, and so clearly the, the club has got its head around the, the, trying to do the sticking plaster technique of, of bringing in senior players with a limited shelf life is, uh, <laughs> is not really going to work in terms of where Arsenal are at the moment, particularly given the age of the, the, the players coming through and the, more, and the better players in the squad. You know, we're, we're, we're generating a young core here. Um, I mean, before I w- w- we go and talk about other potential transfers and potential departures, we should probably talk about actually 
the fact that there was uh, some pre-season friendlies and particular. I mean, there's not really much point talking about beating Millwall and Watford at London Colney, even though there was an absolute beautiful goal from young midfielder Miguel Aziz, who's cut off his cut off his locks and and has banged into absolute screamers in two friendlies. Um, but yeah, I mean, the game yesterday at the Emirates. I mean, let's start. Well, let's do chronologically. Let's start with the with the Arsenal women's game uh, because obviously they were you know, the same the same package was available for people who wanted to watch watch that as well. Uh, and this is to give us an opportunity to bring Sylvan in. I mean, obviously there's been a change of manager. There's turnover of some players, uh, some very much appreciated players, particularly from the Dutch contingent departing, with Joel Roard and Daniel van der Donk. Um, but Sylvan, you must have been encouraged by, despite uh, Jordan Nobbs' injury, the, the performance uh, of the Arsenal women yesterday. Yeah, it's pretty interesting because it's uh, the first preseason game for the girls and they don't have that much time, actually, because the Champions League qualifying round is in uh, 16 days now. So And we were missing nine players who were still at the Olympics so on their way back. So we didn't have any 11 uh, fifth uh, starters actually so it was a bit uh, but the performance and creativity and the new players uh, integrated really well so it's, uh, it's a good omen we have absolutely a new Swedish manager as well so who wasn't even available because he's still quarantining so it was a bit of a special situation that the Chelsea manager was sick as well so <laughs> it was peculiar yesterday but uh, it, it was a good start and we uh, also have a very interesting game next week at the stadium that never got any naming right because they're too expensive <laughs> <laughs> down the road. Yeah. Well, so, oh, yeah, it, it was interesting. And we played the last three minutes of the game with all our kids, basically. So, And they scored a beautiful goal. So we, there might be a great future, too, as well. Well, yeah, I mean, there's two things from the game that stood out for me. And um, I mean, I, I, I don't know if, if I know, Stephen, you, you, you got to see any of the women's game. But firstly, nice to see Katie McCabe's return to the, the squad and, and mm. the contract being, uh, being emphatically uh, <laughs> built upon with a, with a, with a nice goal. Um, I mean, I, I, is is a player that's very popular, but also brings a lot. I think, and um, I mean, where do where do you see things for her for the season ahead? Well, it's like you said, it's it's building upon last season. Like she announced herself on the on not the world stage, but at least the the the, the Premier League stage as like, no, I'm a really quality player, and Ireland, the Iron team is built on her. You know, we we're trying to obviously get into a European Championship or a or a world or a World Cup, and she's captain for us and. They're doing really well too. You know, they they're drawn nil nil with Germany, almost beaten Holland. Like they're giving a lot of good sides bloody noses, and McCabe is literally dragging that team along by the collar. It's like here, follow me. I'm I'm off. You know, playing both pretty much right mid and right back at the same time half the time. You know, like it, it reminiscent of what Seamus Coleman used to do for Ireland and for Everton, where it's like I don't need a right winger ahead of me. I'll do it all by myself, and on she goes. So. Can she kick on and can she kick on in, the, in this new system that the Swedish manager is trying to put in? That's the thing too. You know, is, is he going to start playing with a three at the back? Is he going to play, you know, Miedema up by herself or is he going to put a, 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 a strike partner beside her? Like there's so many moving parts in this team right now. And as, like Sylvan said, they've two weeks until the Champions League qualifier. So 
are they going to be able to sort out those little chemistry issues, those little you know placement issues that they could be able to get all this timing in before a big game, especially when all of you know their their best players are literally just on a plane home now. You know, like is there enough time to get all this built in before one of their biggest games of the season? Yeah, it's tight, huh? and uh, I'm not sure they will be coming uh, straight from the Olympics actually, because I, I think they need a break. You can't really go straight from a World Tournament straight to the club football. To be honest, I hope they give them a break, because uh, otherwise they're going to have a big problem. Yeah, I mean, looking at the game yesterday, Sylvan, um, uh, obviously uh, there was. There's a rotation and selection of players, um, particularly the youngsters getting a good look in. Um, but uh, I mean, what did you make of the performance of the, of the regulars that were, were there? And and did you get any insight into <laughs> what the new coach is thinking, or do you think it was just too early to, to draw any conclusions? Uh, I think it's it's quite early because, as I mentioned, we we really missed. Uh, a lot of senior players. So, for example, uh, if you don't play with Medina or Paris, you really don't. It's not really your best eleven. Mm. The players, the, the new signings were quite good actually. Boy Sorensen and Frida Manuma. So, mm. we have some two good jobs basically. So it's uh, the signing has been has been good. We we did lose a few players unfortunately, but uh, it's a it, it's a rebuilding when you think about it. So it's not. Uh, it's not that easy, and it's a shame the Champions League are coming very quick, and they don't really have time to settle. But uh, I think there's there's a good hope, at least for the first qualifying round, because we're going to play two games, mm-hmm. and then if we go through, then we'll have a, a home and away tie at the beginning of uh, September, and that one will be really really hard because it might be Lyon Wolfsburg. So mm-hmm. I mean- not easy. Did you did any of the the youngsters that played yesterday really stand out for you? I mean, obviously there was a, a beautiful goal from is it Jup? I'm not quite sure I should pronounce her name, but uh, Jud, I think. Oh uh, yeah, okay. Uh, actually, yeah, most of those uh, I never even managed to see them last season because uh, the academy season was suspended very early uh, because of COVID, so they they actually didn't have any games. So. I mean, it was encouraging. To be fair, Chelsea also brought all their academy team at the same time. So it was Arsenal Academy against Chelsea Academy when you think about it. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I think they, they will go on and a few of them actually will, uh, will improve. One thing that uh, we have to say is that we lost a big uh, young academy player in Ruby May, actually, went to Man City. And that's a, that's a big, big loss because uh, she was our up and coming player. And, to lose her on the free to Man City is just um, it's really bad management from the from the team basically. Well, it seems to be an issue, doesn't it, with with, with the Arsenal women's team? Is because the, the the Arsenal women's academy is amongst the best, you know, and certainly in the country, one of the better women's academies in in Europe. We produce all these great young players, but we we don't have pathways for a lot of them, and we keep keep there's this keep losing some of our better young players. Every year, pretty much. Yeah, we just uh, lost Lauren James a few years ago, and now she's back at Chelsea after a couple of years at United. So that's another example of a top-quality youngster, and we didn't manage to keep her either. So it's, uh, it's really painful as a fan to know we, we produce quality youngsters and as they just go away. 
I mean, uh, it's a bit, it's, it's a bit like Chelsea pre the transfer ban, isn't it? Or <laughs> yeah, uh, um, in in terms of the men's game. Um, so, I mean, looking at the new signings, obviously there's the, you know Paris is is I suppose the eye catching addition. Uh, obviously, regularly in England international and, and vying with Miedemar for top goal scorer in, in in the women's game in the UK. Um, I mean, do you think the changes will automatically lead to a change of system, given the slight different balance in the squad, or do or or do you think they could still work within a similar system to what uh, Joe Montemurro has played? Um, I'm not sure because uh, it really depends if, yeah, if the manager really wants to change the system. She's a very good signing, to be honest. Uh, she's a bit like Tom Daly as well, unfortunately, but uh, <laughs> she has a bit of that uh, quality when you think about it. But uh, yeah, she, uh, she plays mostly on the wing, so I don't think she will compete for the centre forward position and probably be right wing and. What we could see is uh, Katie Mackett going uh, up actually on the left wing uh, more this season rather than a left back with uh, Steph Catley uh, coming back from injury and playing very well with Australia at the Olympics as well. So it, uh, it would be, we'd have a lot of options up front, which is what we need um, a lot of firepower. So it's, it's a very good side in Nikita Paris. My last question, just after yesterday, is: Is there any word on the extent of Jordan Nob's injury yet, or is it still waiting? Yeah, so far I've seen nothing special. She's going to get scans, and it was really an unfortunate injury because the she went for the ball and the Chelsea player Erin Kersberg just went for the ball and they made contact, and there's no was no malice or nothing special. And it's just uh, another freak accident, which happens really often with our with our players, unfortunately. So. Hopefully she will be okay, but yeah, well, there's no news uh, at the moment. Well, I mean that segues us back to the uh, the second game yesterday, which was uh, obviously the men's team uh, rather winning two one, uh, losing two one to Chelsea. Um, one similar characterisation is obviously the fact that uh, a star midfielder got injured as a result of a challenge, although obviously. Um, the, the, the game was had a slightly different level of competitiveness, shall we say, in the first half, particularly. Um, I mean, what, what's what are people's general impressions of the uh, the men's game yesterday? Um, apart from the obvious, oh my god, a, a high line with slow defenders is a, is not a great idea against a really quick attack, <laughs> and the oh, some of the players that we're desperately trying to get rid of are showing us why we're trying to get rid of them. Um, I mean, what else do we take from it? It's one of those ones where you can see what the manager is trying to do, but you can also see what Tuchel was trying to do at the same time. Where it's like sit back and wait for Arsenal to make a mistake, and good lord, did we like? Just, oh, would you like the ball again? Here you go. Like, it, it, like that Arsenal team is. It's the first preseason that Arteta has had, and I know that's an excuse that we've given him for a while. But this is the first time you can actually see a change in the way they're trying to play. Like they are a full 15, 20 yards higher up than they were last year. Like it's it's not a high line that it's bordering on the and I I don't want to swear in front of Helen but the Villas Boas line at Tottenham where it's it's high it's almost on the halfway line at times and you can see why he's trying to do it he's trying to put as many bodies in their half as he can so that when we pass the ball we don't have as far to pass it it works but yeah you can't do that with Marion Holding in the centre as centre half you can, certainly can't do it with Klashnak uh, playing left back and. It's going to take... I wonder what 
watching that team is going to be like at home with a crowd. Because I know that Arsenal crowd, Helen knows it better than most because, you know, she goes to every game. So do you, Matthew. But like it, that, that crowd gets antsy quick. And it's already operating on a rather lack of faith towards the board, maybe not so much to the team, but certainly towards the board. And at the first sign of a misplaced pass or a high line and it goes wrong, it's going to get antsy. It's going to turn. So playing that style of football in front of a crowd that is already suffering PTSD from the last time we tried to play it is going to be fascinating. What's your thoughts, Helen, as someone who, uh, as Stephen says, has a little more recent stadium experience? (laughs) Oh, dear. I think the word I would use to describe the upcoming season for me is nervous. (laughs) I I feel like... um, I feel a bit like you know David James as a goalkeeper but the reason why ultimately people don't regard him as one of the best goalkeepers is because there was too much terribleness in there as well and he careered from like brilliance and terribleness at, at great velocity and great frequency and I suppose that's kind of how I feel about this Arsenal team the game at the weekend was basically a microcosm of the good the bad and the ugly right that we're capable of and you're right insofar as you can see the you can see the progress and the changes that are being made, but the execution, you know, you think it's like an Olympic gymnast. They ch- they change the difficulty of what they're doing. They change the strategy, but the execution. If the execution is terrible, they're not going to win the medal. And that's you know that's kind of where we are at the moment. We haven't got perhaps the tools, the players to play the way that Arteta wants to play. And like you say, the crowd is not going to be tolerant of that at all. At the moment, the anger might be with the board, but ultimately you can't do anything about the board. You know, we're we're kind of stuck with it. I I know people are in denial about that, but the reality is (laughs) unless they want to sell, we are stuck with them or unless the FA do some sort of crazy government-backed initiative to... uh, to Bundesliga eyes, the Premier League, but we, we're stuck with the board, but the players and the manager are definitely seen as much more disposable slash transient and that anger will turn very quickly on different parties and ultimately that's going to make for a fairly ugly atmosphere if we're not careful. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things, isn't it? You've got the interesting dynamic of crowds being back and and that sort of communion experience being felt again, uh, which which will, will get you a, a couple of free swings as a club because there'll there'll be that novelty element. But though, but given the fixtures we've got at the start of the season, those free swings could be used up pretty quickly. Yeah, uh, and I think you'd you'd be surprised actually how I think the trouble is people romanticise what it's like going to games. And I, I'm guilty of that too. You know, I love going to games. I've missed it so much. But then because you're not going, you almost build it up to be even better than it actually is. You know, you remember the five threes, the five twos. You don't remember the eight twos, the six ones. And then you're going to turn up. And if the football's terrible, if the atmosphere is even worse and, you know, potentially queuing to get in and out of the Emirates, all those sort of things worse, 
suddenly you're thinking, why, why do I do this? Like, <laughs> why do I put myself through this? And like, we like know that. why we do it, yeah. <laughs> but um, it's you, just a choice. That's what <laughs> yes, exactly. It's, it's an obligation. It's a duty. It's, yeah, throwing away money out your pocket. But I said, not enjoy yourself. <laughs> I suppose that also is what sort of, you know, what will curry some favour is business done so far this summer and what and depending on what else is done because you know by bringing in younger players we are once again trading in that most vengarian of currencies which is hope for the future uh, for sure. r- rather than buying players that should be ready now uh, and aren't and basically aren't likely to get a lot better which has has been far rather too much it's groundhog time. day isn't it you don't want groundhog day you don't mind failing in a different way but if you have new players who come in and they make mistakes for different reasons because you know they don't have the um you know the the mental connection with their teammates those sort of things or you know they're still learning a specific way of playing you can kind of gloss over that it's when you see the same old same old players making the same old same old mistakes that's when you go I, what are we doing here like <laughs> well, well i mean that's one of the, that's one of the give reasons. us give us a bone throw us a bone that we can defend our team with to all our rivals and friends and uh my husband frankly <laughs> give me something that allows me to say with some degree of confidence and some degree of credibility ultimately that we are better than Spurs this year we will definitely be better than Spurs this year and they're going to get relegated <laughs> that's all I asked <laughs> that last one might be a bit tricksy to secure but um I mean I suppose I don't know if they sell Kane they don't sign anyone Defence is all over the shop. Their defence is worse than ours, and I don't say that lightly. I, I suppose something you know where we where we end up looking at it is it, it is we want to see you know we want to feel the at least the illusion of progress. It's a bit like when when you're stuck in a traffic jam, it's incredibly frustrating. But if you take a detour that doesn't actually get you there any quicker, it feels better because you're not just stuck in the traffic jam, and and. The view's better. There's a view out the window. I mean, which is, I mean, this is one of the reasons why, uh, apart from obviously the greater investment in him in, by the board, but why Arteta was able to survive a period that Unai Emery wasn't able to survive the equivalents of, because at least, at least with Arteta, you could see what he was trying to do to a degree, and there seemed to be something you could invest in emotionally or mentally in terms of a pro- the process or whatever. And, and you could attribute a lot of it due to, due to individuals being terrible. But <laughs> at, the, at the end of Unai Emery's reign, you know, the last, those last 10 games, you were look, watching it going, I don't even know what I'm looking at. This is terrifying because I can't even work out what's supposed to happen. Um, and I guess, you know, this tactical shift it won't be enough to to, to placate any, anyone that's unhappy. But if that is combined with a couple more transfers that make sense, uh, basically managing to sell some players that we need to sell. I mean, lest we forget, Lucas Torreira is still an Arsenal player. <laughs> um, so there's plen- plenty to do on that front. Um, and, and of course, it's about the young players kicking on. I mean, one of the things I wanted to sort of refer back to from from the game yesterday is, 
you know the 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 first eleven in the first half started well but faded and and didn't look and you know obviously the defensive weaknesses were very worrying and obviously as soon as Party got take got kicked out of the game, as uh, Andrew Mariner seemed to think that. It, Chelsea, we should play this game like it was a European Cup quarterfinal rather than a pre-season friendly and be going in full, full health or lever into challenges. And you're like, guys, guys, like this is a this is a charity event for mental health. You're not supposed to be kicking the fuck out of each other. Um, but um so we ended up with this disjointed first half performance and obviously Chelsea weakened their team in the second half of the substitutions, but we saw younger players come on and add a degree of dynamism, you know. Uh, the much maligned Eddie Nketiah I thought had a really good cameo yes he didn't yes there's doubts about his finishing and he's not the most convincing striker of the ball but he offered a lot in that in, in, off the bench so it, you know I don't say that's something we should be desperately excited about but it's pertinent because it's a young player who appears to be on the way out who's still fighting for his Arsenal future whereas there are others that seem to be all too willing to accept their fate uh, and and sort of go meekly. <laughs> um, I mean, there's there's rumours today that uh, Reese Nelson is going to go on loan to Palace for a year, you know, with a contract renewal. Uh, wouldn't be the worst thing in the world because of a player with, with ability, but not the personality to succeed at a club like Arsenal at, at present. Um, but again, it's these green shoots we're all looking for, isn't it? Um, and speaking of shoots, and also uh, picking up on <laughs> Helen's references to tools, uh, I think it's time that uh, we reflect and uh, talk about Manscaped, uh, because uh, they certainly do provide the best tools for the job and, uh, and basically help avoid a scrubland in your midfield. <clears throat> but thing of main qualities about the, the Manscaped uh, Performance Package 3.0 is the safety and comfort element, which, again, is not something you feel watching Arsenal defend with a high line. Uh, you, however, with Manscaped, can enjoy a high line without any fear whatsoever. Um, the, the Manscaped uh, Performance Package 3.0 is, is here to get you ready now the world's opening up again and get you ready for the new season as well. Uh, you'll find the lawnmower 3.0 trimmer, which has been talked about at length, so you probably know how wonderful it is, but don't forget the little light. It's very helpful. The Weird Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant. Uh, you can probably work out what that's for. The Crop Reviver Ball Toner, which is perhaps a little bit more arcane, but mm, feels so nice. And of course, you get the free gifts of the Performance Boxer Briefs, which are super snug and comfy, and the Shed Travel Bag, which is uh, has a uh, recommended retail price of £40. So it's uh, not to be sniffed at. This also looks quite nice. And if you are going anywhere with your kit, uh, you can keep it all in tip-top shape. So it's the perfect package for your package and uh, get you into peak performance for whatever <coughs> sporting activity you might find yourself doing. Oh, now you're able to mix other people. Uh, the third generation trimmer, the lawnmower, is a cutting edge ceramic blade, reduced uh, grooming accidents due to the advanced skin safe technology. So that can get you on the podium, if you will. Uh, it has a 7,000 RPM motor an LED spotlight, as I referred to, for a more precise shave. And it's also waterproof, so you can not only use it in the shower, uh, which creates less mess to clean up, you can also see what you're doing uh, from all kinds of angles, which, when you think about it, might be apt. It also comes with a weed whacker to chop your worst weeds in both your nose and your ear, and uh, it's a lock 
to take home gold in the biathlon, they tell us. It's also waterproof and uses a 9,000 RPM motor with 360-degree rotary dual-blade system. Uh, dual-blades is obviously better than single-blades, uh, as anyone that's ever tried to shave anything anywhere can tell you. And it also has a proprietary skin-safe technology, which helps prevent nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate regions both above and below the waist. So after trimming your pubes, show them sportsmanship with Manscaped's liquid formations, the Crop Reserver Ball Deodorant, as already discussed. Uh, pretty self-explanatory what that does, but yes, when it's a bit warmer this time of year, all the more important for both you and anyone else that might be visiting such areas. And also the Crop Reviver Ball Toner is just to make you feel nice, really, and make it feel nice for anyone that might be feeling. But anyway, uh, the Performance Package 4.0 it also has the Manscaped boxes and the Shed Travel Bag, as does the 3.0 performance package. So uh, if that all sounds exciting, and let's face it, if you're hoping to get out there or just feel better about yourself, it should sound reasonably exciting. Uh, so you get 20% off and free shipping using the code DCPOD20. That's DCPOD20 at manscaped.com. So now we've talked about tools for the job. Uh, I think we should probably briefly mention some tools that are, uh, well, the Arsenal manager is looking at uh, to try and improve his job. Uh, so we all know that there's a still issue at right back. Uh, me and, and Helen particular mourning the, the demise of Hector Bellerin from golden boy to, oh my God, what's happened to him? He can't even run properly anymore. Or apparently passed to anyone on his own team. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's it's sort of alarming how much he's dropped off uh, in, over the last. You know, he had a, uh, he came back from his injury and had a return to form, but but it's really sort of dissipated since then. And he's clearly not able to provide what Arteta wants in that position, which is the ability to tuck inside and fill in as a third centre half. Which is why Cam Chambers, or despite being rather less dynamic and mobile, is getting the nod ahead of him at the moment. Uh, I mean, that seems like an obvious position of priority, but we're not really hearing any names unless anyone's heard anything I have, I haven't, about who might be coming in there. And I'd be worried if we're starting with Callum Chambers and Cedric Suarez as our only options in that position. I mean, how much of a priority do we think that is? Not much. Frankly, it's it's one of those ones where, again, it's do we need a marauding right back when we've, we're going to be playing Pepe or Saka at right wing? You know, when they're going to have so much of the ball and cutting inside, the the job of the right back is to could be basically to run past him. Yes, it'll help if he can cross, but so much focus is going to be passing it left wide with Aubameyang and Tierney where you'd like someone to do it the same job on the right, but it's not so much of a priority. And if it comes to the worst, but Ben White can play right back. So I think we've got, there are more pressing issues at Arsenal than right back right now. You know, like it's like I would much rather another centre mid than another right back. You know, I would much rather another person who can come in and fill the Elneny role than someone who can fill in the Bellerin role. You know, like we've got Arsenal squad is massive right now. You know, and if we don't sell everyone, well, then Maitland Niles can play right back. You know, yeah, that's the point, isn't it? We've got about a, how many right backs have we got in the squad? You know, an insane number. So even if you only play. You know, they only play every other game, every three games, based on what game is appropriate for their skill set and or whether Tierney's available on the other side. Because um, let's face it, he's not been short of injury. So if he picks up a knock here or there, you might want something slightly different on the other side to compensate. Um, you know, we've certainly got the players to cover a, a rotating cast of fullbacks. 
Whereas, like we were saying earlier, when we were having the discussion about Xhaka, without the right reinforcements in midfield, a single injury leaves us in a very sticky situation. So, uh, well, I mean, opening this up to, to Sylvan and Helen, um, yeah, what do you think the immediate areas of priority for the Arsenal men's team are in terms of, you know, so we know sales need to happen, but in terms of recruitment, what, you know, what, 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 what do we need to do most? Well, like you say, it does rather depend on the sales because, you know, if, if Xhaka goes, we desperately need another central midfielder. Um, oh, yes. <laughs> but to be honest, even if he stays, I still feel like we're one short because we have very little flexibility to play different formations in that central area. Um, and I'm not convinced personally about playing someone like Joe Willock in there. Uh, obviously he had an absolutely phenomenal second half of the season um, last year and provided very many great moments of joy scoring last minute winners equalizers etc against uh, other teams <laughs> so I'm just laughing because I remember going when when he came on against Spurs going come on Jojo and then saying he scored like about a million goals this season wouldn't it be funny if he scored against you <laughs> Um, and then seeing the crestfallen face and uh, accidentally celebrating when he scored, which in, in our house is like a, um, yeah, that's that's akin to cancelling Christmas in our house, celebrating opposition goals. So <laughs> Someone has to. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it has to be done quietly and under the radar. Uh, I know. You know it has to be I'm done, getting... the look on the face is the celebration, yeah. not the out loud exclamation of like yeah I mean without wishing to be rude that's what he gets for marrying someone who sports a proper football club yeah yeah he's the one in the wrong here <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> definitely um, oh, I, I'm not even joking his whole family are Arsenal fans going back so he really is in the wrong <laughs> so yeah sorry slightly off topic there yeah, um, yeah. yeah no I Joe, Joe Willock, I think, has had he had a fantastic impact at Newcastle, but he was a big fish in a little pond and he was playing in a role and a position that was tailored to him. Mm. Um, and that he just won't get that at Arsenal. He's He's got a chance to see if he can step up, but so far I think it would be naive to be relying on him. Yeah, like he's he's that hybrid age 10 that could be like he's, he's, he's a very poor man's Aaron Ramsey. Basically. Yeah, he's a bit of a jack of all trades, isn't he? Yeah, he can do a but, little bit of everything to a good standard without being standout in any particular role well, for us. Yeah, he's a, he's a te- he's a technically and uh, vision wise inferior Aaron Ramsey with better physical attributes. Yes, he's not going to get involved as, as much in actual build up play. He's not going to bring quite as much in as many different areas. But you know, he does have a fantastic engine and athleticism, and has shown that whenever he's got a run of games that he is going to be a goal threat but this is the question is can he provide that goal threat without abdicating responsibility elsewhere yeah Yeah, I mean obviously he was striking the ball absolutely beautifully towards the end of last season and it was yesterday lest we forget well indeed indeed. (laughs) the old Lampard moment Um, but I, I think the interesting thing for me is can he keep that style of play going compared to like the first half of last season 
lest we forget, Arteta gave him every chance. Mm. He's he's given him lots of minutes, and I wouldn't say that that Willock provided the quality or even the indication that he had the quality to deliver on that. Um, I mean, presumably he was doing something in training to warrant that faith. But even just the finishing, right? He, mm. When he was when he was finishing for Newcastle, a lot of them were really clean strikes of the ball. Yeah. Whereas every time he got in with us, it was scuffed. It's almost like he was thinking too much about it. You know, like it, yeah, it, it, maybe it was it, a pressure thing. Uh, yeah, it was. It's it's the old Theo Walcott thing. Like when you give Theo Walcott five seconds to sum up a chance, he'd look <laughs> at it, look at it, look at it, look at it, look at it, and then look at it some more. Then look at it a third time. Then send a picture of it to his mate. Wait for it, the the red sign on WhatsApp to come up, and then make a decision. Yet if and he then cream it into the corner like Thierry Henry, Stephen. Well, okay. <laughs> no, <laughs> but if you give him half a second, bang, top corner. Like, yeah. if, he, if he had no time to think, he instinctively made the right decision. And Willick was a little bit, like like I said, when he's playing for Arsenal, he almost think like he's trying too hard. Yet with Newcastle, he sees the ball, stride, 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 smack. You know, and they love him because, like, oh my God, what a talent. And it's like, well, yeah, he's a good player. Like I said, like when I call him a poor man's Aaron Ramsey, I'm not besmirching the man's t- talent. He's a, he's a damn good Premier League player. But it reminds me of Jesse Lingard at, at West Ham where you put Jesse Lingard into, into Manchester United, and he's like, no, he's not good enough. But you put him into West Ham, and he's like, oh my God, this lad's going to get 10 goals and 10 assists every season. He's not a bad player. You know, Willock is very similar. But you also put, put into a setup that suited him, right? Yes, yes, exactly. If, like West- if these are the kind of players that if you surround them by a team that works for them, they deliver. But you can't do that in a bigger club because yeah. it's... <laughs> I always remember like there was a game we played against Barcelona way back in the years when we drew them every year in the Champions League and got knocked out by them every year in the Champions League um, where Messi tore us apart in one game. So Mm. then the next time we played him, we literally marked him out the game. I've never seen, not that I watch a lot of um, of Barcelona or Argentina, but I've never seen him have a game so quiet. Mm. But the problem was Ibrahimovic scored a hatful. Yeah, and that's the problem in a big team you can't set up a team for one player because they get nullified you get stuffed it's what Chelsea found when they were very reliant on Jorginho you know and we've had it over the years as well where we've had one main creator it's why the Fabregas Nasri type era worked so well was because if you sat on one of them the rest of them ran rings around you there was that six months of Ozil and Alexis where it was literally pick your poison like it's if if you if you double mark Ozil, Alexis will find the space and he will score. And if you double mark Alexis, then Ozil will find the space and he'll set up someone. And, and if like drop really deep, then actually then Olivier Giroud is actually useful. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, but it's a bit like how long it took people to work out that you don't leave Jamie Vardy with a high line to run in behind. Yeah. Or you don't let Sheffield United play all their passes around the side and attack with their wide centre halves. Oh, look, they got relegated when you stopped doing that. No. Well, I mean, also, <laughs> it's not just about having a team that built around players. It's also Lingard and Mullick's a good comparison. They're players that have a lot of qualities, but those qualities are most effective in a team that is not going to be dominating the ball quite so much and not going to have the onus of being the ones always making the attack. 
you know, I don't see this forthcoming season Joe Willock as someone that would start a lot of games for Arsenal unless we literally cannot get another number 10 in and just have to have him so Emil Smith-Rowe can get a rest occasionally. Mm. Well, there's a certain irony, isn't there, that you would want to play him in bigger games when we would have less of the ball to suit his style and what he's good at. But then they're the games that you would never logically give him because he's not one of the strongest 11. I was really pleased to see Smith Rowe actually taking in a shot or two, actually, in that Chelsea game. Yeah, I mean, apparently he's been challenged uh, by a few sources to to basically be a bit more assertive in front of goal. And, and again, we saw, even though the, the Arsenal performance was a bit disjointed, it, you know, he did create two or three chances and hit the post. Um, so, you know... And not, not to keep, you know, comparing him to De Bruyne, but that's what Wolfsburg did with him. You know, they put him in, you know, left wing, right wing, uh, cam. He was making all these passes and he wouldn't shoot. And after six months, they were like, you're in, you're the best striker of the ball at this club. Shoot. And he's like, okay, fine. And he started pinging them in for 20 yards. Left left foot, right foot. And for nine months, he was unstoppable in Germany. And then, you know, City went, oh, look, a two-footed playmaker. Here's 60 million. You know, and, but that's, that's Smith Rowe's next step. It's yes, he's very good on the ball, and yes, he's a good passer, but he needs to be a credible threat as a shot. Because he did score loads, right? When he was coming through the youth ranks. Yes. Yeah. Because I think that's really important because you take Meza Ozil, we wanted the same from him. How many times did people say, Great, he gets loads of assists, but when's he gonna step up? When's he gonna score a few more? And that was just I don't know if everyone's like, oh, it's just like passing it into the corner. But that was never Ozil's game. He never added that to his game. Mm. But Smith Rowe's got that. He just hasn't put it into his senior game yet. Well, a bit, yeah. a bit like the way that, you know, I mean, not comparing him to these two players, but both Fabregas and Ramsey, not much goal threat until suddenly there was a goal threat. <laughs> and then suddenly they both had breakout seasons where they scored a shit ton of goals. Uh, and Smith Rowe, you know, he's not quite... And ball striking is not at the same level of those players at present in terms of precision, but he has a, he has the ability to to explode like that, mm. um, which sort of brings us back to, you know, we've talked about the need for another body in central midfield. There's obviously the, the need for someone else to be the Smith Rowe alternative, so that we so that basically we don't play, have to play Joe Willock. We're not going to sign Erdegaard, are we? Well. It's really weird. There's so much conflicting information coming out of Spain at the moment. That there's sort of one week you're hearing, oh, he's a key part of Ancelotti's squad, and the next week you're hearing, oh, he's not going to be a starter. You know, Ancelotti wants him, but on the bench. Um, and so, we, I mean, I guess from an Arsenal perspective, given that the other targets we're looking at are probably pricey, pricey, we're probably just going, okay, let's see how this pans out and keep a couple others on the back burner. But the question is. Are those others on the back burner things that can be turned around quickly enough and of sufficient quality to be worth our while so we don't have to wheel out the corpse of Willian again? <laughs> I, you know what I found absolutely astonishing about our potential pursuit of Erdegaard is I don't understand how you can have a player at this top level who is so incredibly one-footed. Ozil. <laughs> yeah, and that's in my mind. That is where Ozil, Ozil, Ozil. <laughs> God, reflecting your voice, Stephen. Um, that that's where he fell off, though, because people got wise to the fact that he always wanted to cut onto his left foot. Mm. You, they knew if you show him on his right 
right foot, he'd probably cut back, pass it sideways, and join the Arsenal side, 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 side passing manoeuvre. And it, not it's too predictable. Is Angel Di Maria though? Yeah. <laughs> or or, or worse, Robin, who spent twelve years. T- you know, everyone said, "Don't let him cut on his left," and he cut on his left. Don't let him shoot, and he'd shoot, and he'd go into top corner anyway. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the guards not presenting the same physical uh, threat as those guys in terms of mm-hmm. pace and ability. Yeah. Yeah. But you I mean, can get away with it a bit more in certain positions as well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> If if you buy him, if you buy Odegaard, you start him, right? You you buy Odegaard to to build a team wrap, not to build a team around him, but he fits into your team. So you start him like a big game. You play Odegaard. You're not dropping Saka. You're not dropping Odegaard. You're probably not dropping Smith Rowe. So hopefully not. <laughs> hopefully not. So now hopefully like going to put in the level of performances that make him undroppable. Yeah. So now you've got like. Uh, my problem is, is that I want to leave as much room as possible for Martinelli. Mm. And I can't see a way of doing that if Sack is playing every game and Smith Rowe is playing every game because then you need left wing free. And if Odegaard's there too, suddenly Smith Rowe is playing left wing or Aubameyang's playing left wing and Lacazette's playing striker. Like there's, it's already crowded up top as it is. And that's, that's if Eddie and Ketty get sold, and that's without Flo Balogun getting the, the games that you'd like him to get next season as well. Like, there is a bit of spending 70 million on Lautaro Martinez is all we need to for seem to think they're going to do. <laughs> that that was hilarious. Like, that, like, bet, I, I, do you know what? I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind. I'd say Arsenal did actually have a word. Like, if Inter Milan are there saying, yeah, we want to spend such a, such a Bellerin. But Arsenal asking about Martinez like that, it's like, you know, it's like putting something on eBay and the lad comes around and goes, here, I'll give you, you know, £10 of the £20. And you're like, okay, oh, by the way, how's your sister? Like, there's levels. <laughs> there's levels. And, but, yeah, where we get, like, Interland need cash and we're putting it together, you know, a poo-poo platter of Bellerin, Willock, Ed, Ed Maitland-Niles, you know, El Nenny as four players and maybe, you know, a 20 euro voucher for Tesco's and yeah give, give us Martinez back like that'll work like it's not football manager well apparently we also offered them Lacazette uh, but obviously uh, Inter Milan being in financial crisis don't really want to take on a striker as an 180 grand a week yeah you know, like it's so that that's why if we're getting another midfielder I'd like it to be someone that can another centre midfielder that can play 10 because at a push Saka can play 10 and Pepe can play on the right wing. You know, we've got Martinelli, Tavares or Tierney can both, you know, if at a stretch, Tierney can play left wing, you know, Tavares play left back or switch it. You know, like there's a lot more options there than having to absolutely buy another number 10 because we're not in the, we don't have the luxury the Manchester City have that we can have Riyad Mahrez and Bernardo Silva at right wing. You know, we that we need Phil Foden and maybe Jack Grealish left wing and then Kevin De Bruyne in the middle. You know, we, we can't afford that. And to try and do a budget version of that when another centre midfielder is of the most, it's, it's the most egregious need we have right now. You know, there another centre midfielder to either play beside party or just add a little bit more solidity or as a proper defensive midfielder so that in cases of we play a big side, we don't resort to five at the back, we play two defensive midfielders and a 10 instead of two box to boxes. You know, like that's what I would like to see. And 
they, it would be the flashiest or the sexiest, most exciting move, but Arsenal have enough bodies up front. They don't have enough bodies in the mid, in midfield right now. So, Yeah, and I think also, if you look at us this season, the biggest bonus of us missing out on European football slash not qualifying for some Mickey Mouse trophy, thank God, <laughs> is we have less games. So yeah. we can afford to have a smaller higher quality squad at the moment and then reassess next season. We should be focusing on improving the quality of our starting 11, not worrying about having multiple options that rotate through of a very similar level. Um, you know, it's it's how, unfortunately, sad to say, this is how smaller teams operate. Mm. They make sure they have a quality first 11 and then if the subs are weaker, the subs are weaker. Or if there's injuries and they have to bring someone in, that's when they rely on youth or they rely on someone who has to step up. But that's the world we're in right now. You know, you can't improve everything at once and you have to start somewhere. So we our focus has to be on having the best first 11 we can and see where that takes us. Well, I suppose the golden unicorn we all want is, can someone find us the next Santi Gazzola, please? <laughs> who can go I can I'm so good technically I can play in five different positions and be pretty effective in any of them <laughs> it's still available right <laughs> I think yeah, he's playing how happy that would make Paul yeah he, he won player of the year in yeah in Saudi Arabia yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, but I mean in all honesty uh, that, that's a, a sort of semi-serious point that's that is the signing we need we need someone who can drop deep and, and be a, a creative central midfielder, can play number 10 and at a push can be a, a creative wide player as well if needed. I mean, that would be, that would solve so many problems for us and would, would allow us to to focus on, you know, other issues. Um, uh, you know, perhaps if we can set, get bodies out, then address them as other positions. But unfortunately, players like Santa Cazola don't come around all that often. Uh, and, and I we get one at the club, actually. Sorry, was that Sylvan? Keep little. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I, unfortunately, she's not allowed to play in men's men's Premier League. We got one keep little. Would be... yeah. yeah, it's a shame, but she would really fit in well, huh? Yeah, yeah. If I mean stylistically, she's she's uh, and in terms of comparative level compared to a peer, she's exactly what we need. <laughs> Particularly with her leadership. Yeah, it's just a shame. Huh? It's just a shame uh, we can't play her. Well, I mean, to be honest, we also need, we also need a male Vivian Amelimar. <laughs> yeah. That would be great. Good luck, good good luck with that. <laughs> um, uh, and then, of course, we we, we find ourselves. Uh, I mean, I did touch on it before, but sort of before we start winding up, the, but these links of Tammy Abraham, which I'm like, oh god, like I don't. Have we not had enough Chelsea rejects. I well, every I year there's someone. I don't mind Abraham as a player, and I think if he, if he were to come to Arsenal, he'd probably do quite well. But because he offers, he has, you know, he's quick, he's strong, he can hold the ball up. Yes, he's a bit wasteful and a bit ungainly, but he's someone that is going to, you know, help create chances and score goals. But it seemed just seems sort of very odd that we've already got Bamiyang, Lacazette, Inquietia, Balogun, Martinelli, like. Yes, he's a different profile striker, but it really <laughs> does that make any sense at all? 
again, well, you can talk. You play a different profile, but to me, he's got some serious similarities to Eddie and Ketir in that he's got various tools in his toolbox, but his inconsistency and his ability to shank good chances in the wrong moments of games is fairly unparalleled. Yeah, he's he's a good striker, but not for us. <laughs> well, he'd, be, he'd be a good striker for us if we didn't have the players we have. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. minor detail. Like as a, as a, as a second or third choice striker, you know, the the, the, the variety in his skill set would be re- really great. Um, which is why I can't quite work out why Chelsea want to flog him, apart from the fact they get money to buy Erling Haaland. Um, well, well, you've hit the nail on the head there. Um, but uh, I would have thought there were others in their squad who there'd be slightly greater priorities to get out the door in that respect. But I don't even know. I, I guess Chelsea's third choice centre forward is, is Kai Havertz. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's a sort of slightly odd sort of set of circumstances. Um, um, but yeah, um, I mean, I guess... We've sort of answered the question really about what the, what the priorities are. It's central midfielder, preferably one that can play at number ten, and then if we get that sorted, then we can start thinking about right backs and other positions as well. The only other position I wanted to touch on is that of goalkeeper. Because mm. uh-huh. obviously we've got the Aaron Ramsdale links. No, 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 <laughs> wait, wait, no, wait, no, wait, no, wait, no. wait, 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 wait. <laughs> you know when I said I didn't have a huge amount to say when I came on this podcast I could not be more vehement in my feeling that we should never ever go near Aaron Ramsdale with an absolute barge pole this is a player who the change from Dean Henderson to Aaron Ramsdale I think was the single biggest factor in Sheffield United getting relegated last season I think he's a bang average keeper and it would be an absolutely shocking mistake to sign him. I really do. It would be like, if you could have like even one of those five minute highlight reels on YouTube to, to, to hold on to as your case for signing him fine, but none exist. Like, <laughs> like, the, like it's, it's one of those signs where you're like, yeah, that's definitely one that the goalkeeping coach has gone and said, I like his technique. And you're like, really? You're piping up again. Like you, like you, you had your one go at this. Track record is pretty shocking. You pipe well, down. I, I'm going to give mitigation there because because it's clear that Rullison was anticipated to be a third choice goalkeeper, a bit of a punt. You know, he the new Matt Macy in terms of squad position, but we then didn't buy another goalkeeper, which yeah. is which is fine. But that doesn't mean that the best solution is to buy another terrible goalkeeper. Mm. And obviously, ter- terrible is relative. He's playing yeah, he, in the Premier League, I mean, right? He's not Runison. No, he's not. But he's not a million levels above. The, honestly, and, no, and chocolate wrists. He's got flaws, plenty of flaws, but he doesn't have chocolate wrists. And for that money, well, that's the key. I say, take a punt on a youth keeper if you're going to do that. Like, as far as I'm concerned, Ramsdale is okay at best, proven to have flaws. Punt on a young keeper. At least they, you know. They might surprise you, for goodness sake. You're not going to get any surprises of a good variety from Ramsdale. I mean, Ramsdale's <laughs> the kind of keeper that I, I can see why there might be a sort of long-term watching of, because 
he's the kind of goalie that in three or four years could be really good. But because he's got the physical attributes and in the second half of the season was very good for Sheffield United after a shocking first half of the season. Um, but it, it, like the, the price point he's at doesn't make any sense for Arsenal. It'd be, you know, buying a young goalkeeper with some promise. Okay, that makes perfect sense if you're if you're spending like five, seven million on them. Mm. But if the, if the, if the asking price is thirty million, then then it just doesn't make any sense because for that kind of money, you're expecting your number one goalkeeper. Yes, uh, or at least someone who is going to be ready to compete with the view to taking over from your number one goalkeeper. And despite Bernd Leno seeming to have forgotten how to distribute the ball from with his feet completely over the last year, uh, and as we saw yesterday, some terrible decision-making again in that, in that respect, his overall goalkeeping game is very strong, and it's certainly stronger than anything that Ramsey would bring. But it's strong Arsenal, enough that a goalkeeper is not a priority purchase, I would say. Well... It is a bit. It's a position that certainly could be improved upon. That's for sure. Well, it is a bit of a priority purchase because last a second time, choice for sure. Yeah. Last time Leno got injured, we discovered that Martinez, Martinez's loan spell at Reading wasn't a fluke, and he's a goalkeeper that if you tell him he's first choice, he plays lights out. If he's got to compete for his position, he falls apart. Okay, that's a weird personality thing, but 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 now the option is Runison or Oconquo, and Oconquo's not played in a year because he's had injuries and Runison is a terrifying prospect uh, given what we've seen of him so we desperately need a second goalkeeper from somewhere agreed uh, like you know, when, was, when was, Matt Ryan came in like you said like, it was yeah. just it was like <sighs> okay there's someone competent there and again Matt Ryan was okay you know he played a couple of games did nothing you know disastrous and moved on and you'd like someone like that, just a uh, like, like a solid like a, just a back <laughs> a, a backup quarterback, someone that you know is not going to play, but you know is just the like if you could buy the twenty first best goalkeeper in the league, and just go here, you sit there, you wear thirteen, say nothing, you know if the go if the if our first team goalkeeper needs a pat on the back or you know you if, you if he needs a drink you go get him a drink you know if you do that and nothing else all season here's two million pounds you know and that's what but maybe they're thinking that if they don't get Champions League football this year then Leno's definitely gone and they're trying to alleviate that problem now by buying their man of the future but again like 40 million for a goalkeeper that you don't think he's going to play this year. I, yeah. He's not yeah. good enough. Like He's got to undergo a groundbreaking overhaul to become anything like the keeper that Bernd Leno was a year ago, let alone yeah. where we are now. He's Jordan um, Pickford without the left foot. <laughs> but he's, he's a bit taller. And I do, he's and, got the headlessness to his game, hasn't he? You know, but you know what I mean? Like, like, but, but Pickford occasionally will just ping a 70-yard ball straight onto the left wing's foot and go, okay, I'll put up with the last 20 minutes because we've just scored. Like, you get, it's why Ederson is so much better than Alisson. Because, Agreed. you know, because Ederson has that, like, yes, he's got the mistake in him, but good God, he is a defensive midfielder playing as a goalkeeper. You know, like, it's like, you need someone that will add like Ben White does. Like, yes, Ben White has his flaws, but when you see Ben White with the ball, you will put up with them. 
because he would just beat the he'd beat the first press and suddenly skip on. Like you need a goalkeeper to add. To, like, it's such a shame that the timing didn't work work out for Martinez, but leaving Arsenal was the best thing that ever happened to Martinez because now he's a mouthy fucker. He's like, no, you know, like it's now, now he's like, no, I, I'm going to show you, I'm going to show everyone that I was wrong. And he's found his voice and suddenly everyone's listening and Villa love him and now Argentina love him. You know, like Messi has never played with a goalkeeper anywhere close to Martinez's quality. And now he doesn't have to be the leader because Martinez is the mouthy fucker. You know, like he's talking the Colombians out of taking penalties. Like that's, that's what Arsenal needed, but he was never going to be that at Arsenal because he was happy at Arsenal. And it took almost that kick up the hole to go, no, we're still picking Leno over you. And it took that chip on the shoulder. It took that almost offence. It was like, really? Really? Well, fuck you then. Sell me. Watch. And now look at him. You know, like, it's a shame, but everyone will hold that against Arsenal, but it's just the human nature. And now Arsenal need a number two again. And it's almost like you need a number two to say, look, you're not going to play for a year. And, is it possible to get someone good enough who's not going to play? Well, that's what, that, I mean, that's why the, the, the links with Inanna from Ajax made sense, because he's stylistically a different goalkeeper, excellent the ball at his feet, cheap as chips because of the, the ban and everything, uh, and the expiring contract, and therefore wouldn't have, been an, wouldn't have been a competition for a few months anyway, so would have had that bidding in period. Mm-hmm. But he wanted to go to Lyon and play for his old manager, which is okay, that makes sense, particularly, I guess, if he's had a difficult time. Um but that's that's the only we need to be looking at, really, isn't it? We need to be looking at either a goalkeeper that offers something fundamentally different to what Leno does in terms of being that that much more modern goalkeeper, ball of the feet, you know, uh, whatever you want to describe it as, or you want someone that's just a solid pro who's someone who's not as good as Leno, but you can parachute in without crapping yourself. Mm. Yeah, and that's the point, isn't it? The money you spend has to be suitable for the role you expect them to play. If you're buying someone to be the future or to be a here and now competition, then you spend big money but or bigger money. But if you're buying someone to literally be a backup without ever having any aspiration to overtake or compete with your number one, well, you shouldn't be spending 30, 40 million quid on them. That's just insane. No, no. I mean, Sylvan, do you have any insight on goalkeepers? Uh, I think you guys are right. If you want to buy a number two uh, who's not going to play much, uh, a stupid amount of money. And the problem, as we all know, it's difficult to find that personal quality for the guy who actually is okay to to be a sub because uh, most of the people are competitive and they don't want to sit on the bench. So it's uh, it's a special kind of guy to be capable of uh, being the number two and and not playing and still be happy. <laughs> the Valtteri Bottas of the football world. <laughs> yes. yes. But we want George Russell. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay with George Russell, you know? Yeah, I'd be fine with George Russell. That'd, that'd be fantastic, but he's not coming to drive for us. <laughs> for, those, for those missing the analogy here, we've segued somewhat um, weirdly into F1. Um where there's a young driver who is probably going to be the next big thing. And it's a timing issue. It's when do you bring him in? Do you bring him in to compete with the big fish, the Lewis Hamilton of the world, or do you wait, keep your not going to rock the boat person until your big fish is ready to move on and then bring him in. 
and that's kind of you know the analogy is a pretty good one you know are we bringing in someone who is ultimately going to compete with or surpass supersede leno or are we literally stop gapping until we need another first choice keeper and if we stop gapping wouldn't it be nice for once for arsenal not to have a keeper who's just a complete calamity waiting to happen you know the Ospinas, the Fabianskis, um, our, our back catalogue of goalkeepers, reserve goalkeepers, is just littered with nightmares waiting to happen. Well, I mean, I mean, of course, the, the, the irony of this conversation is, is that until he got his run in the first team, when Martinez came in as a reserve goalkeeper, he looked shaky as shit. Yeah. Basically, until he basically until he got his chance to say, "Go well, Leno's injured, so you're number one for the time being." And suddenly, he was transformed, <laughs> and, and and which is ultimately why he buggered off when he wasn't guaranteed first choice. You know, they said, "No, you're going to have to fight for your place." And he probably recognised in himself that that don't work for me. I need to know I'm the man, and and that's. Or well, do you think there's an issue there of trying too hard, almost? You know, trying well, to force things to happen instead of just having a solid game. Well, I think it's a bit like, I mean, you know, slightly older Arsenal fans will remember Alex Manninger, uh, mm. you know, and when he came in for David Seaman, when David Seaman was injured and out for a period of weeks or a couple of months, Manninger played lights out. But then obviously David Seaman was a top goalkeeper still at that point and came back in when he was fit. And then Manninger only ever had one decent spell again, and that was when Seaman was injured again. But when he was in for a game here, a game there, he, f- he kind of fell apart as a goalkeeper, despite that first run of him being in the Arsenal team, him looking like a potential world beater. And, it, you know, it's the thing is, is being a number two goalkeeper is just a really difficult job because you've got the technical difficulties and you've got a, a very unique psychological position where basically you know that you're probably never going to get to do your job but you've got to be ready to do the job at a, a moment's notice. And that's, I mean, in, you can apply that to any context and it's pretty hard to get your head around and be able to... Well, I, I've lived and breathed that, right? I, my, my other half's been through that as a, mm-hmm. as a um, football league goalkeeper bench on the bench for years on end. And it, it is, it's insanely difficult mentality. Um, and it's, you just need a few, I think you need a little bit of hope to cling on to it's a bit like being a fan right mm. where we were saying earlier about grandpa bet if you've got something to cling on to that says better times are coming it works it, it takes a very special if i'm honest slightly odd character to be content picking up a paycheck and sitting on the bench because you don't get into top level sport for that you just don't um i think the thing is though if you Every second choice goalkeeper coming into a team for an odd game here or there will make mistakes. You know, that's not limited to, you know, rubbish goalkeepers. You see the likes of Henderson when he started getting the odd game here or there at Man United. He wasn't coming in and playing all that well either. Um, But there's a difference between making mistakes that are linked to a lack of game time. So decision making under pressure, um, sort of rapport and understanding with teammates things versus making some pretty awful handling errors, um, which are just failures of basic technique or panic. Um, and that, you know, that's why we're all sitting here saying categorically Runison is not good enough because his, his errors were, they weren't linked to a lack of game time. They weren't linked to being a number two. They were just, these are major flaws 
for any top flight goalkeeper issues and gaps in technique and quality. Um, and I feel like there's a little bit of that with um, with Aaron Ramsdale, which is why I feel so unequivocally, unequivocally that he would be the wrong choice. Mm-hmm. Hard to argue with. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I mean, I, I think we've kind of discussed the, the full gamut of Arsenal squad building. Uh, obviously, there are more friendlies on the horizon uh, before the start of the season, uh, but we'll we'll discuss those uh, as and when they actually happen. And there's not really point much point doing a preview of a pre-season friendly, given that no one knows what the if there's going to be many more players signed or what the starting lineup will be, or who's going to be back from international breaks, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I just wanted to pick up on one thing that Helen mentioned there, which is again the the, the never-ending Arsenal drug of hope for the future, which it is for any fans, but particularly for uh, Arsenal fans in, in the last how many, however many years you want to go back. Uh, and I want to mention that because it relates to the second part of our uh, 300th uh, podcast episode, which is an exclusive interview with Ryan Baldy, who is a, a sports writer for BBC Sports, The Guardian, The Independent, World Soccer Mag, etc. Uh, and it's about youth players, the youth, uh, the youth systems within within Britain particularly, uh, and relating to his uh, new book, The Dream Factory, Inside the Make or Break World of Football's uh, Academy System. And it's a really uh, long, well, not long, but a detailed and overarching interview about both, about uh, you know what the process is like for academy kids what can be done to improve things both in terms of the quality of players produced but also supporting players and also the his insights into which academies are doing things best people he's spoken to he speaks very highly of of, of both arsenal academies which is nice to hear and yeah it's, it's, it's a bit of a coup for us getting that one so uh, that'll be coming out later this week as well so i uh, encourage anyone who can to listen to that um but I think, uh, and, and unless there's anything else, has anyone got anything else they want to talk about before we knock this one on the head? I think we've we've done a pretty uh, comprehensive job. <laughs> I mean, we could we could we could mention how uh, only Arsenal, in, in a, even in a pre-season friendly, could have three penalties turned down, a good goal disallowed, and let the opposition kick us off the park. <laughs> but that's back to Premier League referees after the Euros. <laughs> it's coming just, home, kids. Just it's just getting us all up to match fitness. Like <laughs> just just giving us giving us an opportunity to vent and roar and. And you know you, that I, although there was a, a preseason game, I think it was against Villa, where Kevin Friend had given a, a foul in front of the Villa away end, and the Villa fans were all singing at him, "You're just a shit, Mike Dean," because he shaved his head, and he th- and and he then proceeded to book the away end, all of it, and they all applauded him for his for basically for his ability to take a job. <laughs> like, it, it was just a superb show of of, of sarcasm. Oh, really? You say that to me? You, you oh, book. Book, 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 which was fantastic. But yeah, well, as a Mike Dean gesture as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and I did the full flourish of going to his pocket and standing there for two seconds with the yellow card, and 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 then moving on to the game. But yeah, what a what a, what a bringing to earth it was just to watch a game where just seeing tackles bouncing off our players and you know the referee looking at it as if he'd seen nothing. Like, like just like a glitch in the system. Oh, what was that? Oh, there was a sound and a and a, and a bone breaking. No, it was fine. Be grand. Don't worry about it. Well, he's down on the ground for three minutes. Ah, nothing. Don't worry about it. Yeah, just to get us back into the flow of things and and prepared for Brentford on Friday week. Well, I mean, well, I'd just be glad it's not a Jose Mourinho Spurs we're facing this weekend. 
can only imagine how bad that would be. The shit housing would be extraordinary, wouldn't it? Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it, it, that, it, on a more serious point, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm not saying this into a referent, but uh, I think the universal response was, that apart from a couple of performances, the, the standard of officiating within the Euros was actually pretty high and certainly higher than we've seen uh, other recent international tournaments and particularly in the Premier League in the last couple of years. Um, and so it does raise a question mark uh, about uh, quite what professionalism has brought to British referees when you've still got uh, half of them can't keep up with play uh, and yet and they're being outperformed in terms of their decision-making and game management by uh, a bloke who uh, runs a, uh, a, a major supermarket firm in Holland. <laughs> Isn't it interesting, though, that all of our players now, I mean, I don't know what percentage officially of top flight players are now from overseas, but it's, you know, it's a pretty high majority, right? And yet all our referees are pulled from the same god-awful pool of poorly qualified English refs. And you have to think, well, is there a reason why we can't bring in these European refs in the same way we bring in European players, you know? Brexit. <laughs> well, it's, it's well, all... the government can make exceptions for footballers. Can't it make exceptions for footballing referees? And also relatives or friends of uh, current ministers. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but, but I mean, that was actually something that was discussed when when British referees first went professional. There was talk of bringing Kalina to a sort of celebrity ref and things like that. But obviously, well, I just find it astonishing. There's so much. There's so much money washing around the Premier League. You know, referee salaries aren't exactly... You know, they're a drop in the ocean compared to players. Mm. And yet we we haven't found a way around the terrible stands of officiating. It's Mm. almost like they think it adds to the spectacle. Well, it's also the fact that the, the, refer- the referee's body and the FA are both can be very resistant to any change because, of course, refereeing is a pyramid in the same way that football is, professional football is, but it's a pyramid for which there is nowhere else for, for, for these rest to go. Because <laughs> they wouldn't get signed abroad, would they? Let's be honest. No, they wouldn't. They don't have the quality. <laughs> I, d- I don't know. There's some pretty funky refs in South America. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, that that was a, that was an unwelcome return to to British standards, um, and no doubt that will continue to be a talking point as we'll be waiting to see what happens with how we're doing VAR this year, and are we going to be doing it the same yeah. in August as we do it in in April? Who knows? Um, but yes, anyway, we won't go any further into that because there'll be plenty of time to talk about that for all the all the uh, games ahead, particularly those ones where we don't have a midweek match anymore and therefore we'll be forced to try and fill an entire podcast talking about a, a one-all draw at Burnley or something. <laughs> so uh, with that in mind, uh, thank you listeners for getting this far. If you did, uh, congratulations, well done. I hope you've got something out of it. And thank you to uh, the returning Sylvan, the returning Thank Helen. you all. And uh, the ever-present Stephen Bradley, uh, and nothing else to say except for do remember that you get twenty percent off and free shipping with the code DCPod20 DCPod20 at Manscaped.com for all their wonderful kit, and uh, it's twenty percent off with free shipping DCPod20 at Manscaped.com and achieve pubic glory this year with Manscaped and. Uh, 
whether you do that or not, we'll still speak to you. And we'd love to hear you. Well, not hear you. We'd love for you to hear us by coming back to listen to us again uh, for the second part of our special 300th episode. Uh, have a great week, everyone. Uh, let's hope that the next friendly is uh, has slightly less suicidal defending and slightly more goal scoring. Until then, uh, stay well and look after each other. Cheerio. Good luck. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.